Isn't that great? It's hard to follow up, kids. Uh, Debbie and I were in Hawaii for the last two weeks. <clears throat> we haven't, we figured out we hadn't been away, just the two of us, for two weeks in 35 years. <laughs> great. <clears throat> well, it's not great, actually, but it was great going away. So I think it, it dipped down to, you know, 25 or something. And then we came back home and our furnace isn't working. So we got baptized into the cold in a very special kind of way. It's our house is freezing. So we're really glad to be here because it's a warm place. So, uh, you know, we had a great time away and it's great to come back. Before we jump into the sermon, I just wanted to give a, a brief plug for the series that's going to come up. It's kind of a mini Advent series. We're calling it uh, Long Awaited. And what we wanted to be able to do is look at who Jesus is, his kind of his classic roles are prophet, priest, and king. We're going to look at who he was uh, forecasted to be in the Old Testament and then how that affects us today. You know, you think of prophet or priest or king and it's kind of, well, that's nice. Who really cares? But we're really going to try to dive into that and look at why that's significant for us today. And so I hope that you'll find that meaningful and you invite your friends out. But today we're finishing off our series on relational rhythms. What we've been looking at for the last many weeks now is <clears throat> um, what are things that God invites us to do that helps us in our relationship with him and others, particularly with him? What are some practical things that we can do to uh, improve our relationship with God? Sometimes it feels as though... Um, having a meaningful relationship with God is kind of mysterious. You either have one or you don't. And uh, maybe you, you know, will read your Bible and pray and hope that you feel closer to him. But what we want to be able to do is kind of do a deeper dive and look at the kind of things that really help us grow in our relationship with God. And today, we're going to be looking at the topic of evangelism. And so this should be interesting. I hope that you all feel guilty by the end of it. Uh, no, the opposite is what I hope for. <clears throat> but when we think about evangelism, uh, if I was to ask you, you know, I can imagine these kids answering the question, that'd be a lot of fun. But when you think about evangelism, what do you think the message is that we tell other people? What would you, what would you tell somebody if you wanted to tell them about Jesus? Well, when I think about the answer to that question, I think of something along the lines of that Jesus loves you and he wants to have a, have a, a relationship with you. That's the kind of things that would come to my mind. Well, uh, let me tell you from what I think the Bible teaches about what the message is that we want to tell people. And uh, we're going to, the, the first thing when Jesus came to earth, the first th message that he proclaimed was this, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. What's the good news? that God's kingdom is here. Well, that's kind of interesting. Is that the first thing that you would think to say? Somebody says, what's Christianity about? You would say, well, the kingdom of God is here, and we should repent and believe. Is that how you introduce Christianity? And then he ends his ministry. I'm just reading through this in my daily devotions. I'm at the end of Matthew right now. And this is what he says in Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. What's that message about? I have all the authority, and so you should go and make followers of me, of mine. Now, the church starts in Acts chapter 1, 
And this is what's said to the followers of Jesus. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. How, what, what are we, uh, uh, this witness, what's it attached to? It's attached to power. And then the very first kind of evangelistic message that's recorded in the Bible after the church begins is recorded in Acts chapter 2. And this is the opening, the, the punchline of that message. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, Lord and Messiah. What's the whole point? Is that Jesus is Lord. And then in Acts 2, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 20, we're given our commissioning of what we're to go do. And we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. This means that you and I have been commissioned to be ambassadors of a kingdom of authority and power. And we're to declare that. So what's going on when, when the Bible describes what evangelism is about? What's the main thing that's being discussed? The authority and power of God. Isn't that interesting? I for sure would lean toward the love side. For sure I'd do that. I don't think uh, it would sell well to have my opening lines being that Jesus is Lord and we should submit to him. I don't know how people would respond to that. I think they'd mostly be insulted. Who do they think, who did, you know, who do you think he is that he could do that? Uh, the message of Christianity is a message of God's authority. That's the thing that's going on. And the way that you and I proclaim a message of authority is you and I need to have authority. You and I need to have spiritual power, be commissioned by God to be his ambassador, and we're to walk in power to reveal a God of power. The whole thing's about power. The whole thing's about authority. Uh, I find that really, really challenging. I find it hard to imagine how I'm going to tell people about a God of authority and then I feel a little bit uncomfortable that the way that I'm going to do that is by having authority myself. I don't really know that I want that, to be honest with you. Just sounds like a lot of responsibility. Uh, doesn't sound like very good news. But the Christian message is wrapped up in this idea of power and authority. And so unless we figure out how God being in charge is good news, how we've been given authority is good news, we're always going to struggle in the area of evangelism. I think when I struggle with evangelism, my primary problem is I don't love people well enough. That's what I think is going on. And if I could just uh, work up more compassion and emotion towards other people, I would share my faith more often. And yet what we seem to see in Scripture is the primary problem is not that we lack compassion, it's that we lack authority. Authority to reflect a God of authority. That, that seems to be the main thing going on. Can you see how awkward this is? So, let's uh, spend a few minutes looking at authority, and then we're going to tie it to evangelism. So, the definition, as I looked it up, it's not hard to do, you look up online, what does authority mean? And I'll, I'll give you kind of compress uh, a number of the definitions that I found online, and it's this. That authority is the power to control or to enforce obedience. Wow. 
That's what authority means. It's the power to control. <laughs> like, okay, a Canadian for sure did not define authority because there's no way we want any of that. The power to control, the power not to invite into obedience, but to enforce obedience. That's what authority is. This is awkward stuff. Now, perhaps that definition is true for God. Uh, that he can actually enforce obedience and he has the power to control the universe. I can work with that. I'd like to offer a definition of authority that I think uh, is better. And it's this. Uh, in terms of our authority, it's delegated responsibility. Now let's unpack what this means. I don't think that humans have any authority except that it's been given by God. This is what is said in Romans 13, 1. It says, there is no authority except that which God has established. So all authority on earth has been delegated. If you're a parent, if you're in charge of a business, if you're in government, it doesn't matter what your position of authority would be, God has let you have that. All authority that humans have is always delegated because all authority belongs to God. And if you have some, it's because he's letting uh, you share in his authority. And then it's responsibility. In Genesis 1.26, this is the commissioning that's given to all humanity. It says uh, to rule over birds and fish and to rule over the whole world. What does to rule mean? To rule means is to have responsibility. So God says, I'm going to make you, and then what, I, I'm going to, what I'm asking you to do, what I'm telling you to do, is I want you to be responsible for the well-being of the whole earth. That's your job description. I want you to be responsible. So when God gives us authority, he gives us responsibility for something. So how do we corrupt authority? <clears throat> so first of all, can you... So we're responsible for some things. You and I are responsible to do some stuff, to say some things. We've been made to be responsible, and we've been delegated authority to execute our responsibilities. We're going to get to what that is in a minute. But let's ask the question, how do we corrupt our authority? Well, there's two classic ways to abuse authority. Uh, the Bible describes two of them. The first is to be overpowering. So, But we all know this, don't we? that we try to control others for personal benefit. If you have responsibility and you use that responsibility and that position of authority for your own self-serving agenda, I think everybody knows that that's wrong. Luke twenty-two twenty-five 25 talks about the people who don't follow Jesus, characterizes the Gentiles. They lord it over. They have power and they use that to oppress other people for their own benefit. The first example of we see somebody doing that in Genesis is uh, in chapter 4, verse 8, where Cain kills his brother. He's jealous that uh, Abel provided a better sacrifice to God than Cain did. So Cain's so jealous that he actually rises up, overpowers his brother, and kills him. Now, everybody, I'm pretty sure that everybody in this room knows that's bad. The abuse of power is a bad thing. If you didn't know it, well, you know it now. Don't do that. Don't 
Don't take on a responsibility for, the, for someone else and abuse that position for a self-serving agenda. You just, that, everybody knows that that's wrong. Even if you do it, you know it's wrong. But there's another abuse or corruption of authority that I think is super common, particularly here in Canada, and it's irresponsibility. The two difficulties, the two ways that power gets corrupted is we overpower, we're over-responsible in a sense, or we're irresponsible. This is the first thing that's described after uh, Eve takes the fruit. Listen to what is said about Adam. Um, Eve, she also gave some of this forbidden fruit to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So what we see in Adam is passivity that somebody is doing something that is clearly forbidden by God, and Adam sits by and watches that happen. That irresponsibility is a, an abuse of the responsibility that God gives us. And then when it goes on in chapter 4, talking about uh, how Cain killed Abel, God confronts Cain, and this is what uh, the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And he says, I don't know, he replied, am I my brother's keeper? He's saying, look, I'm not responsible. You ask, you ask Abel where he is. I'm not my brother's keeper. It's not my problem. Here's what I think has happened here in Canada. Irresponsibility is actually something to be proud of. Uh, if we're irresponsible, what it means is, is that I'm respecting other people's decisions. You can see how this is going to affect evangelism in just a moment. But uh, what I'm doing is I'm going to say, look, you make your decisions. You decide what's best for you. I mean, if you want, we can talk. But I'm in no way going to even come in close to enforcing anything or suggesting that you're wrong. Who am I to say that you're wrong? I have opinions. You have opinions. And I'm going to respect the decisions that you make. Can you imagine doing that to somebody who's about to get hit by a, a vehicle? You know, say, look, um, you know, there's a car coming, but you've clearly made a decision to be in the way of that car, and I don't really want to enforce my agenda on you at this time. And so I'm just going to respect your decision and uh, let you get hit by the car. I mean, it's just ridiculous. But I think we do that all the time in evangelism. We also call it humility. We call irresponsibility humility. Who am I to tell somebody else that they're wrong? Who am I to do that? I don't have the right to do that. And so what we have, in Canada at least, is we have this idea of false humility that the Bible might describe as irresponsibility. So, so far we've said that evangelism is all about authority. It's about declaring God's authority, and the only way you can declare an authority is by having authority. But uh, we struggle with it, maybe not so much by being abusive, although I think we all are at times. We make excuses for it, but we still are. But I think that what's more characteristic of our use of authority is irresponsibility. So how does this relate to evangelism? Well, there's two ways to do evangelism in an unhealthy way. The first is to be overpowering, where we lord it over, we bully or we manipulate. 
We think that we're better than other people. We tell them that you're wrong and I'm right. What we see in, uh, in what would be called colonialism would be an act of evangelism that was abusive, that was overpowering. It took people who, uh, people who knew about Jesus came and enforced and controlled people who didn't in an incredibly abusive way, right? And we hear about it in the news. I think that, uh, that we have uh, at least um, visibly, maybe we still haven't worked it through in our hearts, but in the Christian church today, uh, the Christian church has repented from that um, in the sense that Christians don't go around enforcing Christianity on other people. We don't do that so much. But we did, and it was wrong. Um, because whenever we use authority to control or manipulate or get our own way, we end up misrepresenting God's authority. Because that's not what God's authority is ever about. God's authority is always motivated by love. And so if we, in the name of God, do harmful and overpowering things to other people, that's wrong. And it's misrepresenting who God is. But I don't think we do that much. I have not heard any stories uh, from our congregation of you lording over other people your Christianity and making them follow Christ. I haven't heard that much at all, ever. But I have heard the irresponsibility side. And what does irresponsibility look like? It's passivity. And here's, here's how it looks to me. This is how it, what a misuse of authority looks like in the area of evangelism. We're passive. If you've been in this church for a while, you will never disagree that we should all evangelize and tell other people about Jesus. I doubt, I, I doubt you're going to say that. You go, yeah, we should. Yeah, I know. I don't do it very much. Yeah, I know. If I had a different job and better friends, I would do it more, but it's hard. Um, uh, but I think our crime when it comes to authority is passivity. I think it's our crime. We don't disagree. We just kind of are tolerant of ourselves and others. And in the name of avoiding abuse and control, we stay well away from any kind of hint of authority. The primary way I think that it gets presented, they're awfully quiet tonight, sobering topic, isn't it? Uh, the way that it typically gets described is we're too busy. So if I ask people, I seldom do, but if I ask people about uh, whether they're how they're doing and sharing their faith, uh, I immediately invoke guilt because everybody feels bad about it, almost everybody. And then the typical response is, I know, I'm just too busy. Now, the question that then needs to be asked is you're too busy doing what? If Jesus has told us to do something and we don't do it, then we're too busy disobeying 
<clears throat> to get around to obeying. I'm doing a whole bunch of other things. But there's one thing that Jesus has told us to do, and that's to go and make disciples. I'm not doing that. I'm too busy to obey. So imagine, you know, your kids, right? I mean, I'd like to obey you. I'm just very, very busy playing with Lego right now. But don't worry, as soon as I'm finished with the Lego, I will obey, I, I, for sure. But I'm just busy right now. I mean, how is that going to go? But we could do that to God all the time. We just say, I'm too busy. I mean, I've got, look, I've got mouths to feed. I'm, I'm saving up for a car. Um, these are really difficult times. I'm trying to lose weight. I'm busy. For sure, you're not going to ask me to abuse my body or or to not, you know, have leisure time. You're a reasonable God. I know that you're loving. So I'm busy doing these things. But don't worry. I'll get around to it. So uh, an overpowering form of evangelism would misrepresent God. But get this. So does irresponsibility misrepresent God. Right? Irresponsibility misrepresents God. That's not that important. Yeah, you might go to hell. My experience hell now, but I'm busy. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? When we put it in a cosmic context, it's ridiculous to, to, to be too busy to rescue somebody from getting hit by a bus. But we'll do it all the time in our lives, don't we? I'm just too busy for that. It's passivity. So how do we get out of this? But there's a third option. And the third option is responsibility. This is so we're not over-responsible, over-functioning, controlling, manipulating people, bullying them, abusing them in the name of Jesus. That for sure is wrong. Passivity also misrepresents God's authority. The third option is to be responsible. And what are we responsible for? Colossians 4 gives us a summary in verses 5 and 6. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. So what do we do? We demonstrate and declare God's loving authority. That's what we do. That's what Christians do. It's not for the extra special Christians. It's what Christians do. Now, here's what over-responsibility is. Over-responsibility is being responsible for someone's decision. I can't be responsible for that. I'm responsible to demonstrate and declare. I'm not responsible for them making a decision. I can't change anyone's heart. That's not my job. That would be over-responsibility. In the moment that I become responsible to change someone's heart, I'm going to become manipulative and, and somehow abusive because that's, that's out of my bounds. It's not what I'm responsible to do. I'm responsible to demonstrate the love of God and to declare the love of God and, get this, his authority over heaven and earth. So here's where it gets interesting. Without the practice of evangelism, without the practice of evangelism, we will always struggle to rightly relate to our king. I've noticed this. There are seasons in my life 
when I'm more evangelistic and other seasons when I'm less evangelistic. And I've noticed that when I don't speak about Jesus being Lord and Savior, I'm struggling with whether he's Lord and Savior. I've noticed this. And as Jesus becomes clearly Lord and Savior in my life, it's not hard to tell other people about him being Lord and Savior. My solution to the lack of evangelism in my life is not to feel guilty and go tell others about Jesus. It's to be honest that I'm struggling with him being Lord and I'm struggling with him being Savior. And because I'm struggling with that, I'm not going to tell anybody else about it because I'm having problems with it. And if I'm honest about my problem and I work that through, evangelism comes back into my life. Quite naturally, actually. So, uh, why is evangelism a, uh, a sign of how we're dealing with God's authority? Why, why connect those two? Well, we've already said that it's, it's actually the message that we preach. But it's also a command. And if, if we disobey that command, it's a commentary on what we think about what Jesus tells us. You know, I heard a preacher say that the Ten Commandments were not called the Ten Suggestions. But I treat them that way. And the way that I treat them that way is I'm passive about them. I'm passive about the things that Jesus commands me to do. I'm not actively rebellious. I don't say no. I say later. I say I'm working on it. Again, uh, just because we have so many children, I've practiced this. If I tell my kids, clean out the dishwasher, I'm not expecting, I'm working on it. They don't say, I'm look, uh, Dad, I want to clean out the dishwasher, but you don't want me to clean the dishwasher uh, in an inauthentic kind of way, do you? You want me to do it from my heart. So I want you to know with all sincerity that I'm working on getting to a place where I'm going to be able to clean out the dishwasher with my whole heart. And I hope, as a reasonable parent, you would be understanding as I'm working that through. I've been praying about it. I've talked to my counselor. And we're working through a sincere response to the request that you've made. And you should say thank you for me working so hard at this. What is the parent here? You just said no to me. I said, a parent hears. He just said, no, let me help you. Let me help you with your problem. Clean the stupid dishwasher. There, problem solved. You'll feel it. Uh, you'll feel good about it. I'm guessing 10 to 15 years from now. It usually kicks in mid-20s. Mid-20s, well, maybe early 30s. But you'll feel, I promise, you're going to feel super good about doing it a long time from now. Right now, I want you to clean the dishwasher. That's what I want you to do. 
Now, you and I, look, let's be honest, you guys. Seldom do we have that kind of relationship with God. Really, right? Seldom do we treat what he says as clean the dishwasher. I just don't think we treat him that way. I don't think we treat him. I think we treat our boss and sometimes our parents with way more respect than how we treat Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, maker of heaven and earth. We hedge our bets. Well, he's not here. I can't see him. I was just reading, uh, again, in my devotions in Matthew. It says, uh, it says don't think that um, you can be disobedient and then just before he shows up, it's going to be, you know, I'm going to like repent then, you know. He says, don't think that. First of all, you won't repent. Second of all, you don't know when I'm coming back and you don't know when your life is going to be taken from you. So live in the fear of me. And the way that you live in the fear of me is you do what I say. Now, how do you feel when you hear someone talking like this to you? This is a little awkward, isn't it? I think it's awkward. I don't want to talk to you this way. And you don't want to be talked to this way. And this to me, listen to me now, I think this is why evangelism is hard for us. I don't want to be talked to this way. And therefore, because I have integrity or something, I'm not going to talk to other people this way. And my struggle with evangelism reveals my relationship with God's authority. It reveals it. One, because it's a command. And two, because of how I feel when I want to tell somebody about Jesus. I feel ashamed, I feel awkward. I'm gonna emphasize love, because who can argue with love? And then the people who talk, who I talk with, they go, well, why wouldn't he love me? He should love me. And then I don't know what to do after that. Because it might mean that I have to start talking about authority, and that's an awkward thing to do. And so I pray that they'll appreciate his love or something. What evangelism does is it also then, you can see that the things that you have to work through as you share a message of the coming of the kingdom is that it refines your relationship with God and him being king. It helps you work it out. Because this is what's happened to me. What happens to me is I go, Jesus loves you. They go, yeah, sure, great. Thank you, I guess. I go, oh, and he's forgiving your sin. Well, whatever sins I got, I guess I've committed some. And I'm thankful that he, like, thanks. Does this mean I get to go to heaven now? And I go, does it mean that he gets to go to heaven now? Because they just do act like that and they're going to go to heaven now? That doesn't seem very right. And as I'm working through, them working through their relationship with God, I go, hold on here. I struggle with God's authority. I'm insulted if somebody suggests that I'm a sinner. I'm insulted if somebody says that I'm rebellious. I don't like being told what to do. I hate being corrected. Oh, 
But somehow, when I do evangelism, it becomes a mirror to me about how I relate to authority. Because I can trick myself. But when you actually want to see somebody become a believer, then you can see that there's two things that never help them. Be overpowering or irresponsible. Neither of those two things are ever helpful. You're never overpowering. That's just abusive. Nobody's going to come to Christ. And people don't come to Christ if we're passive. Have you noticed this in the church in Canada? You know, uh, so I'm in Hawaii. I have a friend there who's a pastor. We're talking about the differences between Canada and, uh, and America. That's always amusing. And as I'm talking, I'm convicted that the reason why evangelism is hard in Canada, which if you haven't noticed it is, is not because people have hard hearts, it's because I have a hard heart. I don't like authority. And I'm not going to preach a message that I don't see as being good news. I mean, this whole thing is weird. Look, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the what? Good news. What's the good news? Is the kingdom. Is the reality of Jesus being Lord over heaven and earth. It's the best news you've ever heard. Does it feel that way? And unless we work through our authority issues, forget evangelism ever being on your radar. It's just not going to happen. But the reason why God puts that in front of us for lots of reasons, one of them is to be able to see our own hearts. That as we actually, get this now, as we actually take responsibility, wow, for our brother, as we take responsibility for our brother, without overpowering or being passive, our hearts get changed. As I figure out how to take responsibility. You know, uh, people will say that, because we, so if you don't know us, we have like 11 children, you know, and counting. And um, not because we're not, not want to have more natural kids, but they just come along. Now, um, so this is what people say to Debbie all the time. She, she gets told this all the time. We travel around. People say this all the time. They say, I could never do what you do. That's what they tell her, right? They t people say that all the time. And Debbie's super gracious. And this is what she says every time. She says, you don't have to do what I do. You just have to be responsive to what God's called you to do. Isn't that a beautiful response? So, and it's a true response. That's what she should say. Here's what she doesn't say. The reason why we have 11 children is because we had one. And we became responsible for one. And then... While we were responsible for one, we then uh, had three more people living in our home. And we had other people that we were actively in our, they were actively in our lives and we were actively reaching out to them. You don't get to 11 by being passive, you get to 11 by being responsible. 
and you're responsible with a little bit, and then you get to be responsible with more. Here's what we, you and I have to wrestle with this. This is super convicting. Who are you responsible for, aside from who you feel obligated to be responsible for? Have you chosen to be responsible for someone other than your parents or spouse or good friend? Oh, you, will, you won't even want to do that with your good friend. That just won't go well. Don't be responsible. Guy texts me um, recently and says, uh, thank you for being a good friend all these years and praying for me. I'm going through a rough time. Can we get together? I... I am my brother's keeper. And you know when I assumed responsibility for that guy? It was almost 20 years ago. And I'm reaching out to him all the time. I'm I have made, hear me now, I've made myself responsible to him. And then sometimes I want to overpower him. I want to say, would you please come to Christ already? You're killing me. Like, when am I supposed to dust the, you know, the dust or shake the dust off my feet? Because you look, you know, worthy of me walking away from you. I'm responsible to him. He's my friend. And he doesn't know Christ and he struggles. I'm responsible to him. I've decided to do that. Because that's what friends do, especially friends who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You become responsible for other people. It's just what you do. I'm not better. I just know him. And that makes me responsible to tell other people about him. It's just how it works. And I'm afraid to go to hell, and I don't want them to go to hell either. And if you call that fire insurance or whatever people call it, yeah. Yep, absolutely. Hell sounds nasty. Who do you let yourself be responsible for? When you go into your workplace, are you responsible for them? Not in an over-responsible way, but not in a passive way either. And this is the life of faith, is it not? That you walk into your workplace and you go, I'm responsible here. Nobody else, is, they're not going to know about Jesus aside from me. And if you happen to have gold, a... A, a, a co-worker who also knows Christ, well, that's bonus. I doubt that most of you do. Now you can tag team, and now you can be even more responsible. Do you hear the words that I'm using? They're offensive words. Authority, responsibility. These are the words that you and I need to work through. And this, you guys, this is such a big deal. And this is why... It's called a practice, not just an event. Because we have to practice working through our authority issues. Being under authority and assuming authority. Both of those are equally hard. In conclusion, are you comfortable? I've said it already, but it's my notes. Are you comfortable with being under authority and having authority. 
Are you comfortable with that? Are you comfortable with being under authority? Do you like it? Do you like having a boss and a lord and a parent who's imperfect? And do you like that stuff? Do you like it? Do you like having authority? Do you like it? I mean, you don't even want to say yes out loud, do you? Because that's just, like, that's embarrassing. Do you look for ways to be responsible? Or do you look for ways to abdicate responsibility? Are you being Canadian? Or are you in the kingdom of God? Because if you're in the kingdom of God, you look for ways to be responsible. Not to be overly responsible, but not to be passive. But to say, these are my people. When somebody comes into my life, I assume God sent them there and I'm responsible for them to lead them to Christ. And they might say yes, they might say no. I can't control that. But I can control whether I demonstrate the loving authority of God and I declare the loving authority. I can control that and I'm responsible to do that. I'm not responsible for their decision. I'm responsible to demonstrate and declare Jesus is Lord and Savior. And my personal relationship with God is transformed as I become obedient to that delegated responsibility. It changes my life. We're doing a series on relational rhythms. And we're going through how Scripture describes how to have a revolutionized relationship with God. This is one of those ways. And so if you struggle in in submitting to Christ's lordship and trust you that that's good news, share your faith. Work it through. Do the dishes. And a few years from now, it'll become super good news. And it'll become the salvation that you always hoped it would be. Irresponsibility doesn't solve being overpowering. We redeem authority with love. The way that we work through our authority issues is not by being passive and thinking he's passive. It's by understanding that he has authority and it's loving authority. And we work that out. So in conclusion then, will you practice loving your neighbor as God loves you? And that's with authority. Will you practice loving your neighbor the way that God loves you? When you, if you hear this sermon and you read the Bible, it will transform how you read the Bible because authority is, the Bible is bathed with the message of power and authority. And when you see it, it you begin to, the complexities of life get simplified. God becomes clearer. You feel freer. It all changes as you work through your authority issues. And I speak from experience, as I work through my authority issues, my life becomes better, and and Jesus' message becomes more and more good news. If we can have those who are going to be giving out the communion, if you can prepare yourself to do that. Um, I think communion is a powerful demonstration of submitting and surrendering to the authority of the Lord Jesus. 
you're letting him die for you, which means that you have to admit that you were a sinner. And then you're entrusting your life to him, which means that he will become your life leader. Communion, you can come on forward. Whoever's doing communion, come on forward. Um, communion is a demonstration of submission. I was reading through the passage that we always read when we, when we do communion. It says, for I received from who? From the Lord, that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord, Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant. It's a new relationship in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again to be ruling Lord. Do you see the Lordship of Christ bathed in communion? So I would like you to look at what's, look at what's in your hands. Just look at what's in your hand. As you take this, this is a demonstration of your submission to God. And it will not be good news until you realize, just like we all have to realize, that we need him to be our life leader. We need him to be that. Not our friend, not our advisor, not a good guy who comforts us when we're feeling low. We need him to be Lord, not just of our life, but of heaven and earth. So I would like to pray for us as we, uh, as we participate in this moment of communion. Father, I just think I just think about the complexity of our lives. We are busy. We're really, really busy. But as I'm, as I'm praying, I'm thinking about how, what if our complexity and busyness is a sign of irresponsibility? That we're doing lots of things except the thing that Jesus has called us to do. And what if it's true that as in faith we obey you, that our life would get less complex and we would actually experience the peace and joy that we long for? What if our issue is an authority issue, not a cleverness issue, not a technique issue, not a working hard issue? What if it's an authority issue? And so we choose today, for those who are going to take communion, don't do this. Don't keep judgment on yourself. Don't take communion if, uh, if you're not sincere. But we choose this moment of communion to be a demonstration of our submission to Jesus as Lord, as the coming Messiah. And we're saying yes to the future ruler of the world, of heaven and earth. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus is making a way for you to come under his rulership by dying for your sins. This is his free gift. Not counting your rebellion against you, 
but letting you come under his rule. This is his gift to you. And if this is what you want, this is Christ's uh, body broken for you. Take and eat. Father, we thank you for your blood. And we receive now that gift. And so this is Christ's blood. The King of heaven died for you. What king does that? Kings collect taxes. They don't die. But our king died for us. And it's why we worship him. And it's why he's a safe leader. Because he uses his power to serve, not to lord over. And so if you want that relationship, this new covenant with Jesus, with the Lord Jesus, and this is Christ's blood shed for you, take and drink. You know, I think, I, I don't want to over talk, but I think about um, who I am as a pastor or as a preacher. I think about it all the time. And I think about how you could go online and hear way better sermons than anything I can preach. I mean, I listen to people and they're just so gifted by God to communicate truth. It's just amazing. And I ask myself, why don't we just put up some cool people on the screen and we can just all watch them? Why don't we just do that? It'll be way more entertaining, way more informative. But for some reason, I'm a pastor in this church. And what's worse is I'm an imperfect one. And you get to hear a less than amazing preacher, live a less than amazing life, and still be your pastor. And you have to work through that authority issue, don't you? It's not easy. But as you work that through, your life has changed. Not because I'm great, but because the only way you'll ever work that through is if you trust in Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And so I just, you know, the more I think about life, the more I'm convinced that our problems are trust issues, submitting to the authority of Christ. And we do that through following imperfect leaders. We do that by obeying his command, go and make disciples. And as this becomes our natural rhythm in life, we find ourselves being saved. It's a strange way to be saved. But it seems to be the way that God has ordained it because it works through our heart in the most profound of ways. Let's worship.